When I was in middle school, I got trained to be a babysitter for children with special needs. I babysat for a child with hydrocephalus so the mom could get a break. Then in my freshman year of high school, I worked with a social worker in my town to start the area's first youth chapter of a national group to help people with special needs. That summer, I worked at a camp for special needs children. We were doing some coloring, and I was assisting a blind child. And she was very afraid to take the crayon in her hand and to move it across the paper. So I sat with her, and we just sat, and she finally took the crayon and took it across the piece of paper. Well, the counselors were thrilled, and of course, so was I. And that led me into the world of social work. My first job was working for Easter Seals, placing children with disabilities into foster care and adoptive homes. And then I got my master's degree, and I focused on children and family services. So a big part of my life has been serving people with disabilities, never realizing that I would become disabled myself. Arthritis started causing pain for me when I was 32 years old, and it has steadily progressed until I now live with pain every day. I've gone through two surgeries on my back, one on my hip. I'm facing two surgeries on each, surgery for each knee. I need a cane, I need a walker, a wheelchair, grab bars, and help to get dressed. So now, I'm often on the receiving side of care. It's made me think about, what do people who are suffering really need? And how can we give that to them? We've all been in times of crisis, suffering and pain in our lives. And what is something like that for you right now? Probably all of us have experienced in our lives someone saying something or doing something that helped us with that suffering. And we've probably experienced the opposite. Someone saying something that was not helpful. During our times of great vulnerability, we need other people more than ever. Yet some people bring us God's comfort, and some people try to do that, but they don't. So tonight, I would like to look at two things, how God comforts us, and then how we can comfort others. We'll start with this privilege we have as Christians to receive God's comfort when we are suffering, and then move to practical ways we can bring God's comfort to others, especially here at Savior. I hope we will always be what I've called this sermon, the comforting community. So first, let's look at God comforts us. God himself comforts you and me. In our reading from 2 Corinthians, Paul has to stop and thank God for how he comforts us. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. 
Our God is the Father of all mercy. It comes from him, and he's the God of all healing counsel. Or as the NIV translation puts it, our God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. What wonderful names for God. Do you know that God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort? When you and I see suffering or or down, God comes with compassion and he comes with comfort. Think about Jesus, who is the exact likeness of God. One day he gets to the grave of his friend Lazarus, who has died. We know now that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus knows what a happy ending awaits. But John tells us that when Lazarus died, Jesus sobbed. As one scholar puts it, Jesus is deeply respectful of the pain of our present condition. God feels what we feel. As Paul says, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. Notice that Paul uses the words hard times, or in some translations, troubles. Paul intentionally uses words that can apply to every suffering we face. Hard times may mean physical pain. They can mean emotional distress. They can mean mental health challenges. They can mean persecution, hostility, or bullying that many of our young people face. The point is, Whatever you're going through, God comes alongside you to comfort you. Paul is really honest. Following Jesus means our lives may get harder, not easier. We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah. But then Paul says, no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. Notice, though, that God gives us comfort, not answers. I've read a lot of books on suffering in the last several years, looking deeply for those answers. I've had to come to realize that I may not find the purpose of my suffering. What does receiving God's comfort look like? Well, in my life, sometimes I receive comfort from God as I read his promises, his scriptures, like Psalm 121, which we read tonight, or a song based on Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to God again, and I put my hope in God's faithfulness. If my pain is bad, and I can't concentrate on reading, sometimes I lie in bed in the morning and listen to Pray As You Go, which is an app on the phone. It's an audio program that reads the Bible to me. So I lay there and listen to the Bible. I pray that God will give me the balance, both accepting my growing limitations and also not giving up believing the Lord will and can heal me 
in whatever ways that might look like. It might be through a surgery. It might be through other sources. But I have to keep this balance in my life. Last Lent, I was really drawn to the story where Jesus heals a man with a crippled hand. And he placed it before the Lord. I suffer from chronic numbness in both my hands, but particularly my left hand. It got to the point where I couldn't hold things. Everything I picked up, I dropped. It would wake me up in the middle of the night just with excruciating pain. And so I had surgery, and I had hope that this was going to take care of the problem. It only improved at 20%. I don't drop as many things, so Kevin doesn't have to pick up as many. He's very happy for those little grab things that you can use. I have them all over the house. Some days, we can't pray for ourselves. And that's why I'm thankful here at Savior that we can email our prayer team and pray for one another. But God is creative. And he always finds a way to bring comfort. Many of you know Jan Barish. We pray for her many times in prayers of the people. And she's a longtime part of Savior. And she fell at home this year and broke her elbow, her left arm, and has gone through surgery. Right now, she's in uh, a rehab center doing physical therapy. And we are partners in suffering. We text each other several times a week, thinking about you, how's your pain today? Sounds like kind of a depressing texting system, but we are encouraged that someone else is having a good day or not so good. Well, a few weeks ago, Kevin drove me over to visit her. And as we entered her room, she was in a wheelchair, and I was also in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk that far to her room, which I'm glad Kevin took me in a wheelchair because it was at the end of the hall. Right, Ada? So, um, so I get in, and the two of us are so happy to see each other, and so we're like the Flintstone mobiles, you know, where you're back. we're going like this with our feet, you know, because we could move each other towards each other. And then we gave each other a big hug over these wheelchairs. And I think our wheelchairs hugged as well. God is the father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. And he comforts us. And as God comforts us, we comfort others. So Paul connects those two things together. He said, God comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. How do we pass on God's comfort to someone else? How do we comfort others in the same way he comforted us? I've been thinking about this and let me suggest four practical ways. Of course, you know I was going to give practical suggestions. Four ways we can comfort others. The first one is the ministry of notice. The ministry of notice. God sees us in our pain. He notices us. So then we get to notice other people in their pain. I recently had cataract surgery now my vision is so much more clearer and sharper. May God give us all spiritual cataract surgery 
so we notice those with disabilities more. I love when I see one of our greeters holding open a door, the front door, for someone needing that help. Our front doors are not very welcoming to the handicapped. Amen? Can I hear amen? amen. <laughs> or one of our members giving, serving as a buddy for a child who needs that in children's worship. Mary will never leave a child behind. At the 17th anniversary bonfire, which sadly I did not make, but someone told me the story about a member who needed help to get sit near the fire. And Angel Gonzalez noticed that and set up a chair near the fire and guided them to it. Everything begins with the ministry of notice. From there, we can move to the ministry of presence. Presence, we show up. God comes to us and he is present to us in our pain and then we get to be present to others. One of the worst things about suffering is the isolation and the despair. We need to be present, period. To just be with someone who's suffering and not feel intimidated by their circumstances. But being present to someone in their pain is not always easy. Sometimes we see someone suffering and it may trigger our own fears. What if this happened to me? John Fuja, a Savior member here for years, who went to be with the Lord this year, had severe arthritis that caused him to be bent over. You'd see him come into church, and he was determined to come to church. And he was in great pain. John had to take morphine every day. And when I would visit John and Mary Ann, seeing him sometimes made me feel afraid, knowing he had a similar disease that I did. Would I end up looking like John? Would I have the pain like John? So I would ask God to give me grace to lay aside my fears so I could be present to John. You know what? He ministered to me every time we went over there. First of all, he was Polish and Marianne was Slovenian, so they fed us with so much food and sent us home with enough for the next three weeks. And he had such joy. I would leave with joy. And I would pray that the Lord would help me to live the ways that John lived. Another reason this ministry of presence is challenging as a to do it, we need to accept that we cannot fix that person's situation or remove their suffering. But we can be the flesh and blood representative of the Lord, who is our only hope in times of suffering. In our impersonal culture, marked by deep loneliness, this ministry of presence, offering the presence of Christ to others in their isolation and pain, is an amazing privilege and calling. Our presence really is more powerful than our words. Henry Nowen puts it this way, when we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find 
that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. The ministry of presence flows into the third ministry of validation, the ministry of validation. We honor that person's pain. We validate that what they're going through is hard and that it matters to us. God does this for us, and then we can do it for others. The Bible says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. And it also says, Bear each other's burdens. How do we do that? Singer Carolyn Ahrens once asked people online, What words and actions were least helpful to you in trying times. Many responses fell into a category that Carolyn calls invalidation of the present pain. Saying likes, sayings like, it will all work out in the end. Time heals wounds. And for me, it's the question, well, when will you be back to normal? For chronic pain and disabilities, especially those that are progressive, like my osteoarthritis and Kevin's Parkinson's, there's no normal anymore. When people are in pain, they need to feel accepted, not judged. They need compassion, not guilt. One day, someone who's newer to Savior said to me, here it's okay to not be okay, meaning to live with pain or unrealized expectations and I was glad that they could feel that. I was glad that I was a pastor of a church that people felt that way when they visited. Recently, I read that we should never say to someone, at least, dot, dot, dot. This was my guilty one until I realized that didn't help me. So at least you don't have cancer. Or at least you don't have it as bad as my friend who dot, dot, dot. There were times I was guilty of saying this myself, as I said. But however, when the words at least come out, the other person will feel like we don't take their pain seriously. But good news, we don't have to say something deep and profound or super spiritual. A hug, a simple I'm sorry, goes a long way. And this is the ministry of validation. When I was on the couch for a year in excruciating pain, I could never get enough texts or cards. People would be like, well, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, I'm just lying on the couch in pain. Send the texts, send the cards. People wrote, I'm thinking of you and praying for you. I miss seeing you. That is the ministry of validation. Our meals ministry provided meals, which is a great tangible way of saying to people, we know you're hurting right now. That's the ministry of validation. 
Okay, so we've talked about the ministry of notice, the ministry of presence, the ministry of validation. Fourth and finally, there is the ministry of advocacy. We advocate for others. We try to remove the physical barriers and the social barriers that keep people from being fully involved. Since I've been using a walker and a wheelchair, I see more and more places that are, are not easy to access, access. One of the places was here. This railing went in because I watched people struggle for a couple of years to go up those steps, and then I couldn't get up them. And so thank the Lord for Scott, who built those for us. I went to a coffee shop, and there were steps in the front door, and it's a coffee shop I would love to go to. And I noticed the owner, and Kevin brought her over to me, and I said, you know, excuse me, I would love to come here more often, but I can't get in your front door because all you have is steps. And she said, oh, well, we have a lift. And I'm like, well, where's the lift? Well, over on the side of the building in the alley. Well, I walked over there with her, and I thought, this lift looks like it's for, you know, where, like, things that are coming into the shop. Um, and so she said, oh, well, let me show you how to use it. There were no directions on how to this use this. It had no handicap sign. So she puts it in me, very proud that she at least has a solution, which was good. They did have a solution. So she pushes the button, and I go up to the top, and I'm stuck. <laughs> the lift broke. And I'm like, now I'm at the top. Now what am I going to do? And she's like, I don't know. So she runs back up to the top, and she goes, I think there's an emergency button. So she pushes the emergency button, and boom, down I go. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm not actually back, back there yet. This summer, we were at our townhouse um, pool. It's an association pool. And I was so excited, because I love to swim. Not that I can swim a lot right now, but I couldn't wait to get to the pool, so Kevin pushes me down the hill in the wheelchair, and we get there, and you have to go through the clubhouse. Well, there was two entrances, a men's room and a women's room. There was no handicap exit, so he takes me through the men's room. And so then we come out, and there is like the steepest staircase of cement you could see, with one little railing down the center that, when you touched it, was really hot. Well, Kevin finally got me down there, but I saw one of the board members, and I said to her, you know, it is really hard to get in here as a handicapped person. Well, we've never heard anybody complain about it before. And I said, because when they come, they go home. I mean, this is a townhouse place where there's lots of older people. And so she was like, oh, well, I'll get you a key for the gate to let you in down on the level ground. Kevin started talking about, well, you could put a ramp down. Well, it would have ripped out all their beautiful flowers. So that was not an option, but she did solve it. I have to say, as an eight, this has become one of my things. An eight is a challenger. And I am an advocate. So if I go somewhere, Kevin sometimes has to be, do you really have to complain about this again? Yes. If there's not an entrance to the door, you know, some doctor's places are the worst. Orthopedic doctor I went to, and you can't even open the door. He laughs, and he lets me do it, because I'm an aide. So yes, so we can advocate for one another. Sometimes, I love the story I picked the gospel reading tonight because it's about a paralyzed friend who wanted to get to Jesus. 
and his friends dig a hole. Can you imagine like a hole in your roof with a man coming down in a mat? What amazing friends. Well, sometimes we need to poke a hole in something so everyone can get to Jesus. So in conclusion, I wonder if all this is part of Savior's call. I loved Ellen She's sermon last week. I just wept even more when I got home. And she just gave us a beautiful scriptural picture of what it's like to take care of those with disabilities and their family. So to notice each other, to be present to each other, to validate each other's hurts, and to advocate for each other. Since I've had to use a walker and a cane at church and to sit on a stool for Eucharist, I've become very self-conscious. I've become very aware of my pride. But I want to say that many of you have really encouraged me to not be discouraged or to lay down my pride. There again is an eight. Great discipline for an eight. Well, then I read an interview by Luann Huska. She wrote a book, Hurting Yet Whole. And the interviewer asked Luann, what would a church that is truly supportive of people suffering with chronic health issues look like? Luann said, I think what I have to see one. And the interviewer said, so you haven't? And she said, I haven't. When I first started having pain, it was hard to parse out my own depression and disconnect, whether it was just my mental state or whether it was also I had to do with having a chronic condition and being in a church. She said, but I did have this image, though, when you asked that question. She said, I went to a church where, for a friend's baptism. I remember the priest and some kind of knee or back injury at the time. She had to go up to the sanctuary in a walker. And then she had to be held on both sides by people as she was going up the stairs. And there was a stool for her when she finally got up there. And Luann said, I was like, wow, there's me, as I would have liked to be seen as a center, not the margin. Thank you, Savior, for being comforting community to me, to many others, as a witness to these people, that, to people who visit, who people who are part of our congregation. May we continue to comfort one another and welcome others into our community. Amen.